Hi, this is Deacon Mary, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. So for this Advent, we've been thinking and talking, and hopefully you've been praying about what it means to be awake. We've talked about being awakened with a sense of expectancy for our Savior rather than by our own expectations that so often disappoint us. We talked about being awakened to choosing empathy that puts us with people rather than sympathy that causes us to pity, uh, pity them and drives a wedge between us and Jesus and them. And today, I want us to wake up again in this world that we find ourselves that is filled with both injustice and pain. It's a, plain, it's a place that we so very often can't even understand because it's so mixed up. And yet, even as it is mixed up, we are called to join it, to be a part of it, to suffer with, to have patience with, to pray for the folks in this world that we're with, particularly when we find ourselves giving, when we find life giving us one of those very unexpected U-turns. Let me tell you what I mean. There is a story of a man who lived on the northern frontier in China, and one day, for no apparent reason, his horse ran away. When his community came to him to console him, he said, what makes you so sure this isn't a good thing? Some months later, the horse returned, and it brought with it a wild stallion. Everyone congratulated the man, but he said, what makes you so sure this is a good thing? The man's son loved to ride the wild stallion, and one day, the horse bucked and threw his son off the horse and ended up breaking his son's hip so he could no longer walk. People in the community tried to console him, and the father said, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? Not long after this, some nomads invaded the northern border so that every able-bodied man was called up to defend their country. And the community ended up losing nine out of every ten of its men. But because the son's man could not walk, he was allowed to stay home and care for his aging father. Very often in our lives, we don't know whether something will prove to be a blessing or a curse, whether something is so-called good luck or bad luck. Scripture goes even further. It teaches us that sometimes the things that we consider to be the very best in the world turn out to be the worst things for us, and sometimes the things that we consider to be the worst things that ever happen to us turn out to be the best. And it's important to note that from the beginning... When God created all of things, all of us, there was an end that he had in mind. Philosophers call it the telos. That is, this end that he had in mind for us that was good, beautiful, and gracious. God never purposed an evil thing for any of his creation, least of all the crown of his glory. That is us, 
the end of the Lord for us is always good, always has been. And when the Lord looked at his creation, do you remember what he said when he was done? It was very good. So if God is pleased with us, with what he has made, what do we do with these U-turns in life? And what I mean by this is, what do we think when the worst thing in the world happens to us and it may actually be the best for us so far as God is concerned? What do we feel when the best thing seems to happen to us and yet God thinks it's the worst that could? Maybe more significantly, how do we know the difference? How can we know the difference when a blessing is a blessing and a curse is a curse? And I think our book of James, our reading from James today, has the answer for us. So let me give you a little background on that book first. James was addressing a group of wealthy people. That's who were were in the church that James was writing to. Merchants and landowners, people who owned companies and businesses. More than that, they weren't just rich. They were people who had influence, who had power. And according to the verse just prior to the one that was read to us, we learn that these folks were living in luxury. Now, if I'm honest... There are a lot of people in our society, probably maybe a lot of you here today, who would love to be rich and powerful and influential, who would love to have luxurious things in your life and eat lots of good food, living the dream, as we say. And in their world, they would have been regarded not only as prosperous people, but They would have also been regarded as people blessed by God. Because they had much, they would have been seen as people that God truly loved. Yet, James describes them as living on what you might call an inverted U-curve. They've accumulated gold, silver, wealth. But instead of viewing their wealth as a powerful opportunity to bless others, they're living lives of luxury and self-indulgence. In fact, we know from James that they're proud of it. They've come to regard themselves better than the people that that are working for them. And they probably had no problem abusing that power. I'm glad that doesn't happen today, right? Sadly, it does happen today. Lots of studies have shown us that folks who have much, those that we would call rich people, tend to behave less compassionately than others. One of my favorite studies is where the researcher put a pedestrian on a street corner waiting to cross the street and then they tracked the cars that went by that pedestrian to see the driver's behavior. What the researchers found was the more expensive the car that passed, the less likely the driver was to stop for the pedestrian. Now, we might think that someone who was more well-off, who was richer, might be more grateful for their life because they had received much. They would want to give much in return, but in fact, it's just the opposite. The person with a nicer car was more likely to think, it's my road, don't slow me down. Now, according to the study, they actually ranked the cars that were least likely to stop. So if you own one of these, no condemnation. I'm just telling you what the study said, all right? Don't, this is not me jumping on you. 
But the worst cars, the ones least likely to stop, were those who drove BMWs. Next up were Mercedes drivers, Mercedes Benz. The third worst drivers, least likely to stop, were those dreaded Priuses. Deacon Mary. Even though it's her birthday today, she will not stop for you if you stand in that corner. Well, she might. She's different, right? Though the Prius drivers may love their environment, they do not want to stop their high-fueling, gas-efficient cars. They're going to reduce their environmental impact, but if you get in their way, they'll kill you. The point is this. The richer we are... James points out, the more oppressive we are likely to become and therefore less awake to this world that we live in. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know it doesn't. If you are rich financially or if you're rich in education, if you are rich in talent or influence, you don't have to be proud or oppressive. You don't have to be stingy with those things. But instead, you can be grateful for what's been given to you, particularly awaking to that truth in this Advent season. Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be expected. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Next, James directs our attention to those who are suffering. In some cases, because they have been the ones working for the rich and the powerful. And to them, James says, be patient then, beloved until the coming of the Lord. And here James is giving some of the very hardest advice I know. That is, to endure suffering and hardship with the idea and the knowledge that it actually may increase your discovery of God's greatest gifts in your life. Because the truth is, sometimes hardship and being in those hard places is that best place where we discover our end and his greatness, his grandeur. James says, The farmer waits for the precious crop of the earth, being patient until it receives the early and the late rains. These times of suffering, just like a farmer's field before the harvest is visible, are when God is at work in the soil of our heart. He's doing something that we may not perceive, waking us up to his greatness, to his power, to his love. And as we persevere with his help, we will one day experience that great harvest. Let me also note, very importantly, that just because a person suffers just because we have hardship in our lives doesn't mean that we will receive that rich harvest, that we will have a deepening character. In fact, I've been with people who are suffering with an illness or some other hardness, and yet they are so self-absorbed, so self-indulgent, that they actually become bitter. They begin to grumble. To them and to all of us, James says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door, he says. Why? Why is grumbling such a serious sin? Because it distances us from God. And it makes us a poor excuse for the person that God intends us to be. But the people that we know with the greatest of character, 
the ones who have wisdom and courage, not to mention perseverance, are not usually the ones who've led the so-called charmed life, but instead the ones who've experienced real and authentic pain. Instead, the people who have gone through some kind of deep suffering and loss, those are the ones who are not the ones to become self-absorbed. So, what do we say to someone going through suffering who asks the really very real question, did I do something wrong? Is this some kind of punishment? Because people often assume that if they're successful in the worldly sense, then they are being blessed by God. But they also assume the converse, that if they are suffering, then they are being punished by God. Brothers and sisters, that is not the storyline of Scripture. Look at our gospel today. John the Baptist, sent to prepare the way for the Messiah, has been imprisoned. He did what God told him to do and got jailed for it. And all he wants to know of Jesus is, are you the guy? And Jesus replies, there's no one else who could do what I'm doing. Yes, I'm more than just another prophet. Jesus lived this perfect life, a more perfect life than anyone else has ever lived. And yet he is also called a man of sorrows. At the end of his life, he's beat up, he's nailed to a Roman cross. How do you explain that? That doesn't sound very blessed to me. James comes to us and says, if you think you are suffering, don't necessarily think you're being punished because of some evil. It might be because because God loves you and wants to produce something in each of us that is of greater value through that suffering. Sometimes, of course, Suffering is caused by circumstances far, far beyond our control. If you've lived long enough, you're going to experience a loss. Probably directly, but if not, then indirectly, because you have loved someone else and they have experienced a loss. And so by extension, you know that loss as well. James is telling us what is true for the farmer. That when, there, when it looks like there is nothing happening in the field of our life, when things are being pruned or cut and it feels that we are losing all that we have, it is then that God is preparing for us something far greater than we could possibly imagine. It is then that we need to be most awake. So if you are suffering now, or entering into a time of adversity, remember James' words. It may seem dark like nothing is happening, but be awake Because God is producing something great in you beneath the surface of your life. Finally, remember most of all Jesus Christ, who suffered horribly on a cross. He was stripped, bloodied, bruised, mysteriously bearing on himself our sins and shame. When God raised him back to life on the third day, Jesus was dazzlingly beautiful in his resurrected body. If you offer your life into the care of Jesus Christ, no matter how bloodied or bruised you may feel, you can know with assurance that you will raise again, more dazzlingly beautiful than before. Awake, O sleeper. 
You have been greatly blessed. Enjoy deeply this life that God has gifted you with. Now is the time to see the good and the bad of this world that we live in and walk in this season of Advent in such a way that you are encouraged and that you encourage those around you, even in the suffering that we all know in his resurrection. So let's take a minute and let's just pray. Let's ask God about the suffering that is in our lives and the ways in which he wants to redeem that so that we might know more of him. Let's pray. God, we just we acknowledge that they overwhelm us. And yet you are not overwhelmed. You know them and you have known freedom as well. Help us to see your redemption in the midst of the difficulties that swirl around us. Thank you, God, that you make all things new and beautiful. Do that in us again right now, Father. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.